Welcome to The Things We Say. I'm Sheldon. And I'm Nate. This is a topical podcast where the topics are chosen at random. Sometimes they will be profound, and sometimes they will be stupid. But no matter what, we have a lot to say about them. We are known for the things we do. We become the things we think. We live the things we believe. These are the things we say. It's a wet, rainy, springtimey day in Ohio, and we are back on yes. the things we say. Yes, we are. <laughs> yes, yes. We're ready to kick off our brand new opening segment. Yes. Fear Tournament. The Fear Tournament. For those of you that don't know what that is, Fear Tournament is based on the premise that we can only be scared at one of one thing at one time if we are to be effective. Yes. At being afraid of anything. In the 24-hour news cycle... It's trying to have us afraid of everything. So we consulted our listeners. We consulted our Twitter accounts. We consulted any news sources that we could find. And we came up with the 64 most scary things, put them in a tournament bracket. Tournament? Tournament. Tor- I say tournament. tournament. Yeah, tournament. I do too. I say tournament. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You say tur- <laughs> tournament. Yeah, that might be something that's left over from Lancaster County for me. My tournament. Be. Yeah. <laughs> I've been saying tournament in Ohio for a long time, so <laughs> let's just keep rolling with that. All right. So we have a, a whole bracket set up, and we're going to go head to head to head to head up through all these matchups and get it down to the one thing that we should be the most scared of. Yes. And just so you know, we are discussing the possibility of giving you guys some kind of voice as we get to a certain number. So we may, once we hit, you know, 24, 16, something like that, yeah. we may actually let, let you guys do some voting. But again, we're still the dictators here. So if we disagree really badly, we're probably just going to say, forget your opinion, and we're just going to do what we want. So <laughs> I'm thinking maybe the first round, like to cut it down from 64 to 32, like we reserve the right kind of to do our own yes. thing here. Yes. If you think we're really wrong... Yes. Feel free to message us like you guys have yes. already. <laughs> yes, yes. That's fine. We'll probably eliminate some of your pet fears. Yes, and hopefully. And be really mad. Hopefully, because sometimes we just need to, we need to face the fact that our fears are not all that rational. Exactly. And since and Sheldon and I are the arbiters of rationality, <laughs> it just totally makes sense. <laughs> I don't think I've ever once been described that way. <laughs> Me neither. Oh, that's what makes it good. All right. On to the podcast. Let's Here we it. go. Let's hit it. Today, if you look at our bracket that's posted just about everywhere, where is this on the bracket? It's going to be in the upper right. So in the upper right part of the bracket, game number 23 <laughs> is where we find a head-to-head matchup between Russia and Sharks. Yes. Because we all know we're supposed to be afraid of Russia. Yes. You say the word Russia. Yes. In anything, immediately we should be skeptical, we should be afraid, we should be fearful. Yes. And this wasn't a really scary thing maybe 10 years ago when, well, or how long ago did Mitt Romney yeah, say? Yeah, Mitt Romney mentioned it in the 2012 election and got openly mocked by there literally everyone. 2012. And then did it, ended it, what did I say? Did I not say 2012? No, I was just confirming. Oh, you're yes, 2012, yes, yes. that makes sense. I yeah. thought I might have misspoke. No. Um, but yeah, and everybody mocked him for it soundly 
and uh, and then you know by what the time was his Trump, statement like who who, who they is asked, the foreign power we should asked, be most concerned yeah, about who's our who's our greatest our greatest foe and he said our greatest greatest geopolitical foe is Russia. Okay. And even the commentator at the time like scoffed him scoffed at him over saying that and then Barack Obama said something brilliantly presidential like this isn't this isn't uh this isn't the cold war this isn't the 1960s and uh of course that was the headline was Mitt Romney made a fool of himself hear my air quotes in my voice uh, by saying that Russia was our geopolitical foe and then of course now the left would be hailing him as a genius and has and has so here's here's the thing um, we don't have a ton of time to spend on this. No. It is an opening segment. Yes. So when we do these, we understand that these fears are fears because of very broad yes. things. We are going to super generalize. Yeah, they're very nuanced, but we don't care. We don't Not care. For the, for the purpose of this exercise, we don't care. No. And... and you got to understand, this is not a serious assignment that we're doing. No. This is a facetious kind of fun thing that we're just having fun with. Yes. So we're going to distill these arguments down to the dumbest possible, yeah. <laughs> easiest yes. to understand argument of why we should be afraid of these things. Yes. And then we'll eliminate we want, them based on that. We want Chris Matthews to be able to understand our conversation. That's our ultimate, that's probably our target right there. If Chris Matthews can understand, we've accomplished something. <laughs> <laughs> oh, anyway, okay. So I'm gonna go first. I'm gonna okay. go first. I'm taking Russia. Okay. And uh, and so my my reason that I feel like we should be more afraid of Russia than sharks. Actually, there's a myriad of reasons. Um, one is that they are a significant nuclear power. Still, even though they are not the 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 USSR, they're not the expansive, massive thing that they once were. They're still a formidable power uh, with a formidable army. Um, and one of the things that actually scares me about Russia is not actually knowing where all their nukes are anymore. Um, because there are a lot of Soviet satellites that when the whole thing fell apart, places yeah. just kind of kept them there and nobody... So the question is, does that nation control these things? Does the Soviet... I'm not the Soviet Union, I'm sorry. Does Russia still control these things? Like who has launch codes? Who has access to these places? Nobody really knows. Um, so there's a there's a level of secrecy to Russia that is that is... Paired with their nuclear uh, capability is extremely frightening in terms of world stage. Um, it's also a frightening thing to me because Russia is a, a Russian. The Russian people are a people who have completely subsisted on authoritarianism. So they went from they went from um, having having uh, you know the czars and having emperors yeah. to then having the Soviet Union rise up and a completely authoritarian state. And they're now even though they're a democracy now, they're still very much ruled in an authoritarian way because that's all they know. That's all they know how to deal. That's all they know how to do it. They don't really have representative. They don't really have uh, representative government, representation in their government. It's purely people who are, they're used to being ruled over. That is, that's how they function. And again, so, that's, so, that is a generalization of the Russian people as a whole, but as, 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 it, as it is, it's, it's the system of government they're used to. And so this idea that um, you have a, a, a massively powerful uh, economic, um, demographic, and nuclear force that is essentially uh, run by authoritarianism entirely is, is kind of terrifying. The, the idea that one, one man or one woman, as it were, well, let's be real, realistic, Putin, because he's just always currently the puppet master of something at this point, um, 
is basically controlling everything, and uh, he won't be going anywhere. Like you know, yeah. If, if you if you title changed yeah, a little while if ago, you, for example, if you hate Donald Trump, at the very worst, in another what five years, six years, he'll be gone, and you won't have to deal with him anymore. Not so with with Russia and with their current uh, their current system of government. So I think there's a lot more reasons than that to be scared, but I think those are the those are the big primaries. People who are authoritarian ruled by authoritarians and they're used to it and they think that's normal. Uh, large and very unknown nuclear power and um, the fact that you have one man who seems to just constantly be in control uh, and it's not even close. So the list of countries that have nukes um, and then Wikipedia lists it by the warheads total and deployed. So the total and deployed number is exactly the same for U.S. and Russia. Yeah. Which I suppose is treaty-oriented, and I suppose Russia has completely accurate reporting, and so does yeah. the U.S. Well, and I'm sure, yeah, we, we both are <laughs> right. you know, hiding things. Um, and the U.K. is like, so for instance, U.S. and Russia are about 6,500, U.K. 215, France 300, China 280, India 130 to 140, Pakistan 130 to 150. Which both of those are kind of terrifying. North Korea 10 to 20. Maybe. And Israel, 80. That's it. Yeah. That's the list. Yeah. U.S., Russia, U.K., France, China, India, Pakistan, North Korea, Israel. Yeah. In descending order. Yeah. So when we say we should be scared of Russia, it's like we are the two superpowers. Right. And pretty much we get to, when, when we get to meddling in the Middle East, Russia is also meddling. Right. Somewhere. Uh, yeah. On one, on one side or the other. Not on the same side. Not on the us. same side, generally, no. Not in Syria, not in Iran. Yeah. Well, we're, we're I don't very, know. Iran is murky because they're kind of... Yeah, we're very weird frenemies with, with Russia. It's a very strange, <laughs> strange relationship. Right. Very strange. But anyway, so so yeah, those are those are my big uh, big contests for uh, for being afraid of, of Russia. Yeah, and I... It's not that I'm not afraid of Russia. I'm... Well, yes, it is that I'm not afraid of Russia. Yeah. Um, first of all, Russia hasn't killed an American on U.S. soil that I can point to. Yeah. There may have been some political, like, spy enemy type right. things that kind of went away and nobody heard about it, but I don't know. Are we really scared that we're going to die in the same way as, like, the Cold War when, when everything was escalating? Like, right. I think we've kind of reached a place where it's like, yeah. The, the, mutually, the mutually assured destruction has basically served its purpose, and yeah. we're just going to tolerate each other. And and I don't I don't face any imminent threat. If I lived in Crimea, I would be scared of the Russians. Yeah. But last time I checked, Crimea is not the U.S. Yeah. And I understand that shows that they're getting more aggressive and whatever. Right. But the history of that region and what they used to control and what they currently control, right. and who has rights to what... These are these are the things that they fought wars in that area over for years and yeah. years and years. Maybe and even centuries. To I'm some a little degree. too isolationist in my geopolitics to I say on that. if it doesn't threaten us, it doesn't yeah. threaten our borders. I'm not that worried about it. Well, and and one thing I guess I will give you on that: Putin is not a madman. Yeah, he may be very corrupt, he may be an evil man, but he's not crazy. Yeah, and so you know somebody like. You know, North Korea is a little bit more hazy in that area because their leaders are I think literally North crazy Korea people. North Korea also enjoys the crazy label. Yeah. 
They yeah. enjoy being yeah. the wild child. Yes. All right. All right. Give, give me sharks. <laughs> sharks. Give me the sharks. So we're going head to head. Who should we be more scared of? And, and while I was looking this up, we ran across something <laughs> from the Florida Museum of Natural History called the Yearly Worldwide Shark Attack Summary. It's in their International Shark Attack File. So... The Florida Museum that that of Natural History does the entire world a favor <laughs> by looking up shark attacks that happen every year and whether or not they were provoked or unprovoked. Here, here's 2018. In 2018, there were 66 unprovoked shark attacks in the world. Now, what does that mean, unprovoked? Unprovoked attacks are incidences where an attack on a live human occurs in the shark's natural habitat with no human provocation of the shark. What would be provocation? <laughs> Provoked attacks occur when a human initiates interaction with the shark in some way. These include instances when divers are bitten after harassing or trying to touch the sharks. Those people deserve to be yes, bit. Yes, they we, do. We can agree. They do. Attacks on spearfishers probably should also be bit. Attacks on people attempting to feed sharks. Not the brightest yeah, no, lights no. in the room. Yeah. And uh, attacks on or bites occurring while unhooking or removing a shark from a fishing net, etc. Yeah. So basically, you're disturbing the shark. Yeah. They bite you back. Or it's an occupational hazard yeah. kind of thing. Okay, okay. So there were 66 unprovoked attacks, 34 provoked attacks, 9 boat attacks, 4 scavenge, don't know what that is, habituation, 1 public aquaria, 1. Which I'm assuming is somebody falling into a shark tank at an aquarium. Or somebody trying to train a shark or treat a shark. Yeah, yeah. Either one of those. Deliver are a shark's baby. Yeah, maybe so. Maybe so. <laughs> and the mama shark, got mad. Shark midwifery. That's an interesting thought. <laughs> <Yikes. sighs> and then there's the doubtful claims. Ten of those and non-confirmed five. But if we add them all up, at worst case, it's 130. Okay. The U.S. had one fatality. It was in Massachusetts last year. But the U.S. has the lion's share of shark attacks. 32 last year. One fatality, 32 shark attacks. I'm thinking like probably 30 in Hawaii. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot of shoreline. But Australia came in second with 20, and everybody else, I guess Egypt had three. And How? Brazil had three. How did Egypt have... They're doing something crazy. Yeah, that, what are they doing? Yeah. <laughs> they don't have that much coastline, but yeah. Brazil had three and Egypt had three. Okay. So okay. the Egypt coast, something maybe crazy those going were, on maybe there. Maybe those were the aquarium people. <laughs> <laughs> that was the aquarium people. All right. So that make, could be. So, okay. And then for context, in 2010, the U.S. Census Bureau tells us that 59 million people went to the beach. And, and that's just in the U.S. 32 attacks. And that's just yeah, in the U.S. In the U.S., 59 million of us went to the beach, 32 attacked. But I would submit that the reason the sharks are more scary is the one person that the shark killed in the U.S. is probably more than all of Russia. <laughs> yeah, that's... I'm At just, least here in our homeland, like on our yeah. soil. Yeah. I'm sure you can find an article of a time where a spy or something disappeared. Yeah. I'm, I'm just going to... I'm not going to lie. I'm just going to give you sharks. There Sharks win in this one. There's just no way. And it's not that Russia's not scary, and it's not that... Sharks are just terrifying. There's, there's just nothing around it. Everybody's They're totally unpredictable. I think to be scary, it can't be predictable. Yeah. It can't be like, we know when it's coming, or we there's know nothing how reasonable. Happen. There's nothing reasonable about a shark. Right. It will just eat you or bite 32 you. 32 unprovoked attacks. Yeah. 
you were just in the wrong place yeah. at the wrong time. And when they say shark habitat, the ocean is the whole is shark ocean. Habitat. Yes. Yeah, I'm. I'm gonna go with you on sharks. I'm. I'm just gonna completely seed this I one. I don't not think about sharks yeah. when I go to the beach every time. Like I see every stingrays time. and I'm a little weirded out. Yeah, I'm just like I would rather not see any living creature, even the dolphins. I'm kind of like, you look like you might be friends. Like <laughs> the way you swim, I see a fin, and it's just like that's one of my favorite Dwight Schrute quotes. It was from a, a deleted scene in The Office, and he said, you know, you always hear about the the dozens of divers that are saved, or the dozens of yeah divers that are saved every year by dolphins pushing them back to shore. It's like, but what you don't hear about is the hundreds that they're pushing out to sea. It's like <laughs> dolphins don't know anything; they just like to push things. <laughs> it's like we actually that that might be true. We don't we don't know that we don't know that. Oh man! So yeah, I'm gonna That's give amazing. you I'm gonna give you sharks. Yeah, Russia versus sharks. Sharks win. The sharks are built for one thing. Slicing meat up yeah, with their with their teeth, and then just <laughs> yeah. moving forever. Now, I did watch the Meg that movie, the Meg. You did. I did. You paid money to watch that. No, I watched it on an airplane, like a oh, normal okay, person. Okay, 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 okay. <laughs> that is an airplane movie for sure. Yeah, I mean, what else are you gonna watch? That's right. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. So you go and it and it was totally implausible. The, the whole <laughs> thing is like the what is it? The Mariner Marineris. Trench? Marianas Trench. Marianas? Yeah. I, I had marinara sauce or something <laughs> in my head. I knew what it was. It's the deepest trench in of the course, world. Of course. And they were like, the whole thing is that the bottom of that trench isn't really a bottom. And that it's actually like a layer of gas or something. Like there's a, there's like a cloudy layer uh -huh. that seems like a floor. Okay. But if you punch down through it. Then there's this whole like ecosystem going on down there where there's like this prehistoric species of the megalodon mm. shark is down there. Yeah. And somehow they mess it up when they come back up through and the shark like follows, follows them up, follows them up. I'm like, all of this is based on a ridiculous premise. <laughs> like, what is this semi-solid surface at the very bottom of the deepest trench in the ocean? <laughs> So in order to get some something where a prehistoric thing could be, we have to like stretch what we've possibly <laughs> explored. It's it's worse than ten thousand leagues under the sea because at least there they were just making stuff up off the top of the Quite head. literally because there were no submarines or anything. Yeah. They got a lot of things right. Yeah. Surprisingly. Well it wasn't bad. All right. Well sharks it <laughs> Jules is. Vern. Sharks win. Yeah. Interesting dude. Yeah. All right. Sharks win. So what are we actually talking about tonight? Well, you guys all saw it on the title, but <laughs> we're, we're still getting there. And we're, we're going to talk about demystifying church just yes. a little bit. Um, we're both churchmen. We've been raised in the church our whole life. I would go so far as to call us church rats. Uh, yes. Like, Straight up. We were born and then like drugged to church within two weeks. And here we are. <laughs> and here we are. And we've been, we've been there ever since. And I know some of you find podcasts much more interesting if it's... The guy who was a pastor for a while, now he's not. Now he's like super skeptical and he says yeah. all this bad stuff about the church and or or all the skepticism. And that's interesting because it's a different take. And so a lot of people gravitate to things like that. Yeah. A lot of people will also gravitate to the guy who was like totally pagan and now like church is the brand new thing for them and, right. and they're just talking about it constantly, nonstop. That's not who we are. Neither no. one of those. 
And 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 you may think it's kind of boring. So what? Church people talking about church. <laughs> On the other hand, we've seen a lot of we have seen a lot church of done things. right and church done wrong. Yes, we have. And we've been in a lot of different streams. I think you might be surprised, like our experience between the two of us. Yeah. And how many different streams we've dipped our toe in. Yes. And how many of those are semi interesting semi weird <laughs> and and we'll get into this a little bit but and my my thought about this was that a lot of you may be going back to church this weekend yeah or you know church is a regular thing for you and easter is a high time that you're really excited about going to church and and you're but for those of you that are just going back to church this year and you're a christmas and easter kind of person you know we wanted to demystify this experience for you a little bit or if you've never been to church and you're like Let's think about trying it out. I mean, yeah. it's Easter. Go see what's going on. And you might be weirded out. Like, I'd, I would be a little weirded out to go to, like, a golf country club. Yes. I, didn't, I never came from money. I didn't. I haven't been around golf a whole lot. The closest I've got, got now is, like, selling some equipment that's used on golf courses. <laughs> and now I have to learn about this culture. But I wouldn't know enough of the what should be understood right. in those circles, like, Totally. That's not my circle. Totally. Okay? So if I were to waltz into that like country club mentality or country club gathering, I'm like a fish out of water. I feel like I don't belong here and everything's going to be a little new to me. Yeah. So if that's you for church, <laughs> yeah, we want to talk about some of the, the weirder things that we've experienced <laughs> in a place that we still love. Yes. You know, we love it. There's a lot. And I want to tell you this about churches. If you're thinking about trying one, do it. There's a lot of really good things happening in churches now that maybe wasn't happening 10 years ago if you yeah. haven't been for a while. Totally. Uh, a lot of really good things happening. A lot of people finding help, healing, uh, just changing their lives for yeah, the better. community, all the things. Yeah, and and it's been one of the best things in my entire life. I yeah. can't can't stress that enough. Yeah. So well and just that to, being said. Yeah, and well and just to, to add on to that, you know, I mean I've talked about it before, but I'm a third generation in ministry. Like my my father was is has been our pastor here. He's he's been a pastor for gosh, a long time. I don't even know how many years now. <laughs> um actually it would have to be near forty because my parents are just celebrating their 40th anniversary and he started ministry like yeah. immediately following. Um, so, you know, he's been in ministry. My, all of his brothers were in ministry in the Nazarene church. My grandfather was a pastor. So, so I, I've come to the church literally with my eyes wide open. Like there are no, like you cannot tell me a story of the church that I haven't heard or experienced. I've seen it all. I've heard it all. Um, you know, I've, I've seen the underbelly of it and I've seen the amazing parts of it. And I'm still here, and I still love it. Right. Uh, so, yeah, we, we have very similar uh, experiences with the church, and then at the same time, very different. Um, but in terms of our love for the church, through its good and bads, we've, we've been there, we've done yeah. that, and, and we're still here. So, yeah, you're not going to get a jaded take, really, from either of us. <laughs> no. So what, what's, the, what's one of some of the weird things that you've seen going on in a church that in the middle of it, you're like, if somebody just walked in off the yeah. street... Well, this I, is. I had an interesting. This is probably a when, weird thing. When you for brought them. this up to me, talking about this, a, a certain situation instantly came to mind that I remember my dad telling me about. And this is, this is some since we've been at, at this church, um, but it was in the old building. It was years and years ago. I mean, it was probably twenty years ago. But there was a guy who had just recently uh, 
started coming to the church. He'd, he'd just recently really become a Christian, never been around the church, never done anything with that, and was coming with somebody else. I think he was in a relationship where she was really into the church, and so in order to stay in the relationship, he was becoming part of the church kind of thing. And it was around Christmas time, and we used to, at that time, we would do a family communion service where we would actually have slated sessions and you'd come in and we, I think the most we ever did was like 12 or 14 services in one day. It was insane. Like how many we did all in one day to get everybody in there. Cause it was a real intimate setting, just a couple of tables. And, you know, we'd come line up, you know, groups of like 30 or 40 people do communion. They'd move out and then we'd keep going. So it was like 40 minute turnaround time for each one. But anyway, he got totally freaked out by communion and the reason he got freaked out by communion is because all he was thinking, and even started ranting about Jim Jones and you know the the communal pact ah. suicide and all that. Like that was his only window into what communion was. And so he came in and here are these like controlled things of everybody, everybody eating something at the same time, everybody drinking something at the same oh, time. Wow. And he literally lost it, like literally panicked. And and uh, and and I don't know that he ever darkened the door of our church again after that. Um, I, there was an attempt to kind of explain what was going on, and obviously nobody died or got sick or had anything weird. But but it it freaked him out so bad that that he just basically went running. So even the practice of communion can be really really strange to someone who has never ever darkened the door of a church. And I think we take that for granted. We assume that somebody that's coming to our church is at least from some church yeah. background, and every every Christian denomination uses some form of the Eucharist as as yeah. worship. Like that's part of what is done on a regular basis. Yeah. But that was something that until that time, and I was probably 14 when that happened, never occurred to me that somebody would be completely horrified. And I knew about the whole Jonestown thing and that, you know, that whole suicide pact thing. I knew that was, but it never occurred to me to connect those two things in any way. And, and depending what church you go to, this is good that we're talking about communion because communion is just the Basically, Christians continuing on the tradition that Jesus started at the Last Supper, yeah. and and this this happens right before Easter. Jesus is about to be crucified, and he tells his disciples, "Do this in remembrance of me." You know, you take take the wine, drink this. This right. represents my blood that was poured out for you. This this bread, this is my body. You know, it's yeah. broken for you, and he breaks the bread and hands it to him. And it's a way that we remember the body and blood of Jesus right. that was sacrificed in our place. That he literally that's, commanded us to do. Like, yeah, do this. That's what continue to do this. All of Christianity is based on. I don't think, you, you cannot be a Christian because the whole thing surrounds Jesus. You cannot be a Christian if you don't recognize these right. main tenets. So that's why it happens everywhere. Every Christian church right. is going to do it. Now, they all do it differently. Yeah, and have and different the, different parameters of what they think is happening. Yeah, and depending on what church you go into, it may be something where they take the bread and they dip it in the wine yeah. and hand it to you, and you actually eat from someone's hand, which is weird to some people. <laughs> yeah. Like, you, they, they don't want to do that. They don't... You know, it's like being fed soggy bread. Yeah, yeah. And and it's just weird for some people. I've been in one where you pass the cup. Yeah. Yeah. And which and which, which is which is wine. Yeah. And so and therefore it is self sterilizing. If you wipe the thing off, you're fine. It the alcohol kills whatever. So don't be freaked out by the common cup. It is sanitary. Now it was funny because I was raised in the Mennonite tradition. We we all had Welches. Like yeah. we're, we're, and, we're and having Welches. The Nazarene Church juice. is the same thing. That's, yeah. That's what communion is. I remember once I got old enough to well, once I was baptized in the Mennonite church and I could take communion. Um, because it in the Mennonite and Nazarene churches, they're believers' churches. You have yeah. to confess 
faith in Jesus in order to take communion. It's right. basically the, the, the idea that right. you're not really a member of the church until you would believe, or, uh, you would confess Jesus as Lord. You don't have to be baptized right. yet, but in the Mennonite church, they actually move baptism up, and you would you would uh, confess your faith in Christ, you would be baptized, then you could take communion. Yeah. And and church membership was tied in there. We can talk a little bit about church right. membership. Totally. This is going to be fun. Totally. But um, when I first took communion, I was like, oh, wow, it's grape juice. Yeah. Like, I was expecting it to be something special, yeah. you know? And it's like, yeah. you which, can buy this at Walmart. Yeah, which I have a whole rant about that, which is completely <laughs> unrelated to what we're doing. But, we'll we'll so have to do we that were, We were raised on that. Yeah. And so me and Jess are exploring churches in the area, and we're trying all kinds of different churches out when we left our the one that we had been going to. And um, they were passing the cup along. And I remember the look on Jess's face because she's right beside me. She takes like this big drink of it and passes it to me and goes, like, <laughs> her eyes kind of like bugged out of her head. She was expecting Welch's. Oh, yes, of course. And she got like, you know, a red wine. Yes. And was like, oh, <laughs> like if you're expecting Welch's and you get wine, yeah, it's going to be a weird time for you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I think the only time I've ever actually had wine uh, for communion was uh, we were in a church in England that I think it was a non-denom, but of course it it was it was Anglican initially, or had Anglican yeah. roots, and and so well, they used it, they it, used bread and wine, you know, in a common cup. Yeah, but it was it was very diluted, uh, so okay. that it was okay for everybody to to drink it, you know, to whatever extent. And that was an interesting thing, you know, having a, a British person that I'd never met hand me this this chalice of wine and take a drink and wipe it down and pass it on at, you know, what was I, 17 years old at and the time? And you're expected to keep it moving. Yeah, just if keep it a, moving. If it's a cup, don't yeah. sit there and ponder yeah. the blood you're of supposed Christ to be pondering, out for you're you. are supposed to be pondering before you get the cup. <laughs> yes. And after, after it's gone. before and after, but yeah. the don't drinking hold up is the quick line. and the passing yeah. is quick. Yeah, don't hold up the line. And and sometimes you'll, you'll be asked to come to the front and people will serve it to you, yeah. like hand you a cup. Yeah. Um, I was at a vineyard church one time that had these really cool things. They look like the little Smucker's jam thing yeah. with a peelable top and yeah. a little plastic thing. And in the top, there was like this little the wafer. Nabisco yeah. cracker yeah. wafer thing. And you pop that open and then you peel off this lid and underneath is your little juice yeah. thing. And everybody got these little things passed out. And yeah. I was like, oh, this is like mass participation yeah. communion. Like this McDonald's is communion. <laughs> yeah. It was. Yeah, I've I've done that. There's there's been some conferences I've been at where they they kind of did that kind of thing. We I think he, we've utilized those as well. Yeah. But um I think one of the places that I do appreciate the most, I've I've actually I wouldn't say I've participated in. I've more observed uh, a Catholic mass here at St. Mary's in our uh, our local our local Catholic church does a midnight uh, Christmas mass. So Christmas Eve and then midnight turning into Christmas. And um, if you're not Catholic, you, you cannot take communion. Like it's, it's not, there, there is not a belief there where, you know, no matter what your, what your denominational affiliation, you can, you can come, no, you are a part of the Catholic Church or else you don't. And they're very clear about that. But one of the things that, I appreciated... That's, that's in the Mennonite Church, a lot of the Mennonite churches that I've been in too. Like yeah. you, you, won't, you won't just get communion like... Right. It's got to be a thing where you have, like, there's there's that whole, like, rite of passage, for yeah. lack of a better term. Like, if you're thinking about it as a rite of passage, it's tied to church membership or it's tied to baptism. It's right. tied to... And in most evangelical churches, you're at least going to have to 
have the idea that you have confessed Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Yes. Like, yeah. that's one thing that's going to be talked about quite a bit. Right, so, right. Just but, be prepared yeah. that if somebody doesn't serve your community and they're not being hateful, they, no. don't, they don't not like you, but it may just be their stream. Right, where, right. Well, but one of the things I did appreciate about the Catholic Church is, is they have no problem taking time. Yeah. Basically, the entire service serves... Like that is the focal point. That's what you're moving towards yeah. in that in, in 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 mass. And and so um actually seeing that happen, seeing people line up, I mean, it was packed, like hundreds of people in this tiny little church, and just they you lined up, you'd go forward, the priest would serve you the wine, serve you the and it was just you took your time. There was no rush, there was no push to anything. It was like, no, this is what we're here for, and we're gonna we're gonna sit in it, we're gonna contemplate in it. And uh, I was pretty impressed by that. Uh, the couple yeah. of times that I went to that, it was very interesting to observe. Very good. Yeah, but anyway, yeah, I mean that's what it comes down to. It's 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 a it's an act that that we're commanded by Christ to observe as a as a remembrance of what He did on the cross. What what Passion Week is is actually about, um, and there's there's different streams, you know, Catholicism and and um, you know some things like Anglicanism and and uh, you know more liturgical would say that that Christ is literal that 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 these things are literally transformed into the blood and body of Christ when they're ingested. Uh, that there's a spiritual act that takes place where Christ is present in a literal sense once those things have been consumed. Um, I get that from a reverence perspective. Don't really get it from a biblical perspective, if you're going to go there. Uh, our, our particular stream is we believe that that Christ is present in that in the sense that his presence is in the act of communion, not that he is physically the things, you know, yeah, becoming the because things. Because we believe that he's alive and active and right. can forgive our sins, right. can communicate with us, right. can come into relationship with us. We expect that he's present there when yeah. two or three are gathered in his name. Like we expect... Yeah. He's present he's in the act, but not present in the elements themselves. But anyway, so yeah, communion, there's a little bit on that. There's a little bit on that. And and don't be weirded out if you go to Easter and they don't serve you communion. It's not always a thing where churches serve communion at Easter. That could have been done at Good Friday service and you just missed out if you miss Good Friday. Or or if you go to a Good Friday service, I would say uh, 98% of Good Friday services are going to serve you communion. Yes, yeah. Unless there's something else going on. Us being, uh, you know, an addition to that rule, not an exception, we'll, we'll have that. That's yeah. always a thing for us. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and so dovetailing just off of that a little bit, there was something else that happened at the Last Supper that some other people may use. Jesus bent down and washed the disciples' yes. feet as a sign, as, as an act of service. He, he was the leader of the group, and they were all his disciples. He was the rabbi. And for him to take the servant's towel and yes. to wash the feet of the disciples was a direct act of showing, I am here to serve you. Yes. And, and it was such a, a step below of, of his stature, of someone of his, someone of his nobility, even in the religious community, yeah. for him to take on the, the mantle of a servant and wash his disciples' feet yeah. was offensive right. to the disciples. Right. And um, the command in Scripture is now... I've washed your feet. Now you should wash each other's feet. Yes. Some denominations take this very, very literally. literally. Yes. And and I can tell you both the good and bad sides of this. I will say, I believe that it is effective as a leader or someone who is in a position of authority showing that act of service again. Yeah. I think it still works 
in certain times. I, I remember one time there was a whole bunch of stuff going on in, in our youth group and kids were saying whatever they want. It was kind of, there was kind of some clicks going on and yeah. that type of thing. And the youth pastor, rather than fighting against it, just one night set up a service and he's like, I'm going to, and he preached on the foot washing and what Jesus did and what it signified. Mm. And he said, and I'm going to wash your feet. Yeah. And he set up a basin and a towel and he washed the feet of all the kids. And yeah. when, and when he did, he just said, I, and to each one, like, I love you. I care about where you're going and what you're doing. And, and just that type of thing. It was very real and it was very yeah. in your face. And it was exactly what the kids needed to yeah. see. Someone who was not going to lord it over them, wasn't going to tell them what they should and should not do. But then the command was very easy to give. Now go and serve each other. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, the weight of that moment was incredible. Yeah. Now, and, I've, and I've been a part of some of those situations as well. Um, yeah. But it is. It's, there's, it is one of those things where I, and I feel bad, but when I hear about foot washing, like particularly at weddings, like I'm one of those that I, I kind of roll we my eyes. We did it at our I know, And I know you did. <laughs> I but, love I, it. But, at your wedding, but at your wedding, it would not, not have been necessarily a trendy thing yet. Oh yeah, like that. No. You were you were early enough because like you guys have been married what twelve? No, how? But if you look, how at many this, years have you guys been married? Fourteen. Yeah, fourteen years. So I mean, that was that was before it really took over like it did. But I've seen, and again, I I believe that it was probably really legitimately meaningful that it had. I'm I'm not disparaging the fact that someone did it. It's just one of those things that when something starts to become cliche, I get a little cynical about it. That's just yeah. kind of how my how my brain works. So what was weird, and I'm like, <clears throat> if anybody would have just walked in this Sunday, they would be weirded yeah. out. Yeah, totally. And, and my and my Mennonite church growing up, <laughs> and and it meant a lot. To me, when I was when when we were doing it, like I yeah. get it, but the Mennonite, my experience growing up Mennonite is a lot of it is uh, cultural, yeah. And so there are things that are culturally understood if you grow up in it that it takes a long time for somebody that comes in from the outside just to get what's yeah. happening. So it was a very meaningful experience for me. But I remember sitting at the back of the church, being like, "If somebody just walked in this Sunday, this is a weird Sunday to be here yeah. because everybody got up. The men went one way, the women went another. I think the women were upstairs, the men went downstairs, and there were several basins and chairs. And you basically pick a partner, yeah, and you wash their feet, they wash yours, and then you come up and you do communion together. And it was a whole thing, yeah. Like the foot washing service was a whole thing, and I'm like. Man, that would be a weird experience if you weren't a part of yeah this culture or anything. Somebody's just like, "Hey, come to church with me." And yeah, here's what's happening. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally with like, you on that. Pick a buddy. <laughs> yeah. All right, how much of a buddy are you? <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! Like, I'm not sure I want to be in a hot tub with half these people. Yeah. <laughs> watching. <laughs> yeah. Oh, There's not man. a whole lot of people I would share a hot tub with. Now that you mentioned that, I think my children might be a couple of them that I wouldn't want to share a hot tub with. Oh, You're man. not the kind of guy that goes to a pool and is like, oh, hot tub, that's where I want to spend my time. No. <laughs> Unless it's like, hey, look, there's nobody in that hot tub. I'm going over there. The minute somebody gets in, I'm like, well, eh, this is fun. I'm moving on. I think some of the most awkward conversations I've ever had in my life have been in a Hot tub, yes. Where it's just in a public space. Yeah, I was recently in a place where, where I I was I was at a rec center that we have, you know, kind of close to here, and we were there, and I noticed there was a sauna, and right as I noticed there was a sauna, there was a girl who was probably early twenties that I saw go to the sauna, 
completely clothed, like she just got done working out. And I thought to myself, okay, two things here. One, I'm not going to go now into this sauna with this girl that I don't know who just went in there. And it would just be the two of us sitting in a sauna together because that's awkward just by itself. But my other part of my brain, I'm going, okay, she went in there fully clothed and not like, and I'm like, is she still fully clothed in there? What am I going to see or not see when I go into this place now? So I just avoided it like the plague altogether and just pretended like it didn't exist the rest of the time I was there. Because I never saw her come out. We were there for hours. I never saw her come back out. And there was only one entrance. So I was like, whatever with this church may have our weird things, but there's nothing that gets over the awkwardness of the YMCA. So <laughs> I'm just going to say, <laughs> yeah, that's very true. We don't have anything, nothing nearly nothing that close awkward. To that. Yeah. And if you, and if it's, if it's as bad as that or worse, it's not a church, it's a cult run away. I've seen, <laughs> yeah, I've seen people like hold up a Bible and shout random things out in yeah. the middle of a church service. Yeah. And that's not as weird. No, as the it's YMCA not. Song. No, it's not. <laughs> No, it's not. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Um, I guess one thing that we could talk about is the idea of going forward for prayer, like going forward whether oh. to request prayer yeah. or going forward as uh, an act like going to the altar and kneeling for prayer. Because um, I know one thing when I was visiting churches, the one thing I did not want to do under any circumstances is head up front where the yeah. lights are brighter, where people can see me and I don't know who's looking at me and yeah. why. And I don't want to have to explain to anybody right. why I'm here or right. why I haven't been here before or where I'm going after. I just want to be a part of your service right. and exactly. see what happens. Exactly. I don't want to go front for anything. Exactly. And, uh, and, and that's, that's something that's entirely related to the idea of, you know, uh, of, of what we would refer to as public confession of faith. A lot of times yeah. is that there's a, there's an, an outward act that symbolizes your act of stepping out in faith. And for some, that means uh, coming you know, to the altar for salvation. For some, that means coming to the altar for healing. For some, that just means coming to the altar to, as the old-timers would say, pray through on an issue, which is where, basically where you're struggling with something, and you know the Holy Spirit's telling you to give it up or to lay it down or to take it up, you know, whatever it may be, and you're going for it because you're like, okay, we're going to wrestle this thing out, and my intention is to leave this altar having laid down this thing, having, having submitted to the Holy Spirit, but I'm going to have to you know, go up here and deal with this. And so it's an act of, it's a symbolic act, a, a physical act to, uh, to, to signify what's going on with you so uh, internally, spiritually. What, what's different about our church and some others is we actually use our altars. Yes. Like people come up and they, they will pray, you know, sometimes during worship, sometimes, you know, if the service particularly moves them in, a, in any yeah. way, like they, f- they feel free to come to the altars and they should, because that's something that we've cultivated our church. Now, the one I, uh, the one I grew up in and, and my larger experience with a lot of churches is that the altars are not used as much. And it's more like you come up here for salvation and that's about it. That's like about if that, and, and we had a service where I knew, I knew I was feeling like God was saying, Hey, this is your time. Like you need to decide where you're at with me. Are you going to yeah. choose Jesus? Are you going to choose salvation? Or do you feel like you're gonna you're gonna stand before God on your own someday? Yeah, you, f- you feel good about that. Yeah, you know. And these are your this is your choice. Like right. you need to decide like tonight. And that that kind of thing was very real for me. And I knew that I needed to go. I needed to go forward. I needed to receive salvation. This right. was going to be my choice. Right. I I did not go forward. I walked out the back of that church that night because our church 
it would have been just going up front would have been saying, Hey, I have not yet received Jesus. This is my moment. I'm yeah. receiving him right now. And everybody would have known what right. was going on in me. And I'm like, I'm not ready for that. Yeah. Like that was an added weight on top right. of what I was already feeling. So I went home and it was like the longest drive home. I desperately feared that I was going to get in a car accident <laughs> on the way home. Cause I'm like, if I even so much as die on the way home, this is going to be bad. But I knew like, as soon as all my brothers and sisters went to bed, I was going to talk to mom and dad yeah. about what was going on and they would be able to help me. Right. And they did. They, they just prayed it through with me and it was one of the most amazing and real experiences of my life. Yeah. But I, w- I would say that if it's a church that doesn't use their altars, it could be a, a weird thing to go front for yeah. prayer. Like, yeah, yeah, it, it can be weird even for people that are raised there. So, right. you know, the expectation that you would come forward, don't, don't feel like that's heavy on you. Like right. if you feel, if you feel like that's something that you want to do, you should. Right. I mean, some, if you go forward to get prayed for 98% of churches, somebody that's qualified, that, that loves you, that's going to, going to be there to meet you and pray with you. That is, that is the one thing that you can count on. If you go, if you go forward in any church service, like you feel emotionally stirred, you feel spiritually stirred. You, you all of a sudden realize something in your life isn't right. And you'd like to change that. You don't know how usually just go forward. Right. Right. And, and there's nothing at, at the end yeah. or, or if they call for it or if they don't call for it at the end of service, kind of walk forward and stand up there for a while. Somebody's going to find you. Right. Like, and, and there's nothing sacred about that piece of furniture no. at all. It's, it's just a, it's just a hunk of wood. I mean, that's, that's but what it is. It's more of a communication symbol to the church people. Hey, I would like somebody to pray with me about, yeah. about yeah. something. Or I am taking a step, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm having a public confession of taking a step. And that's the thing is like, you look at Sheldon's experience, what he talked about, he wasn't necessarily disobedient in that. He may have chickened out a little bit, Oh, definitely. but, but he out. still, he still went to a place where there was, there was confession, there was repentance, there was, there was interaction and public confession of what was going on in his heart yeah. and his mind. And all of that in my <clears throat> tradition there, you, you have to make a public declaration yeah. before you get baptized, yep. but it's more a, a celebration at that point, And it's not so much, Right. I don't have the weight of sin hanging yeah. over me. I've already made this choice. And but now yeah, I'm making the altar public. is not just for people that there's something wrong with. Exactly. Not at all. That's one thing that yeah. I, would de- I definitely yeah. want to say. I mean, I've, I've had times where I've been up, you know, leading a song or about to lead a song. And I'm like, you know what? I need to go down here and pray about something. And so I'll go do it. And it's not that there's... That's one of the things I appreciate about, uh, one, you know, my first pastor, which was J.K. Warwick, who was then one of our general superintendents of our church and is now retired. But he would literally get convicted during his own messages. And so he would give the altar call and he said, and I'm feeling convicted about this too, so I'm going to go down and be the first one to pray about it. And he would. He'd go down and kneel down at the altar and and pray through whatever the thing was, which initially people were very uncomfortable. It's like, he's the pastor. He shouldn't be dealing with it. He's the one that's bringing us the word. But he would. He'd get The Holy Spirit would convict him and he was like, if he's doing it, I'm going to do, I'm going to obey. I'm going to do, I'm going to do what he tells me to do. And so uh, I always uh, so respected that about him. And I think even, you know, even as a general superintendent, he had times where he would do that. He would speak at these big international conferences where you have thousands of people who, you know, look up to him as one of these, one of these men and women that, that lead our denomination and would just get down on his knees and say, yep, I got to deal with some of these things too. And it was, it was a great thing. Uh, and And it took the, it took the edge off that fear of of, yeah. of the altar, that mystification of the altar, for sure. Yeah, definitely, definitely don't 
be afraid of it. Nope. Like that going forward thing, it's one of the best things that can happen. And it doesn't mean that anything's wrong with you. Yep. I mean, you can be the best Christian in the entire world. And this Sunday is your Sunday to go forward. That's it just right. is. Like, That's right. I've, I've moved forward to go further in worship. I've moved forward because I was drugged there by, by God just saying, mm-hmm. you need to get up here and I've got something I need to talk to you about. But you need to put wheels to this yeah. first. Get up out of where you are and step out of your comfort zone and into mine. Yep. And it's like, yeah, it's kind of like being on his turf a little bit. That's and, right. And I think that's that's a good way to think about it. You can be in a church as an observer, like me and Nate have been a lot of times. We've been observers. We've yeah. taken that role. Or you can, sometimes he calls you to, hey, get in the game and participate here a little bit. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Definitely do that. <laughs> what are some other things? Okay. Uh, so <laughs> some of the, some things may be a little weird. Like um, a lot of places that you go for like to see a speaker, we get the speaking part. Right. Because you see motivational speakers other places. Time. Yeah. You see people at training events and everywhere else getting up there and giving speeches, TED Talks. Right. That's basically what a sermon is. So people aren't weirded out by the sermon, but the singing is, is different. Yeah. Like I remember going around to a couple different churches and they like, and the church I grew up in as well, we'd have a hymnal. Yeah. You're expected to sing out of a hymnal and you know, half the people, if you're not in band, can't read sheet music and right. don't know what you're supposed to do with your voice and and yeah. people are singing in four-part harmony, yeah. and it's you a just weird. slowly you just lag just a little bit behind the person next to you, yeah, singing the notes and following the melody along. Yeah, and and if if nothing else, just read the words yeah. and and just say the same words. Nobody that's not up front has has a lot of <laughs> pitch. They can't even hear if you're off. That's not going to be a big thing. Just go ahead and, yeah. and sing. I've been in churches I wasn't even sure that the people up front had any idea what a pitch was. It's okay. Yeah. Like we are we sing together because it's it's a thing that we do. It's right. a, it's an act of right. worship. It's just it's something that's probably going to be a part of any church service you go to. There will yeah. be some sort of singing or at least a reading. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I appreciate about a song we've been singing lately is that it's very liturgical. It's it's uh, yeah. called a response. So the leader will say a certain phrase, and then the audience, the, the congregation will respond, yeah. uh, yes, he is, or God is good, or yeah. you know, you have a short little piece that's your part, <laughs> and the speaker gets to say his, his yeah. long piece, and then you finish it off all together, yeah. and it's, it's a really joyous thing to be a part of. It and is. so singing grew out of that, I think, in, in some ways where, yeah. you know, it, and it was also a way to commit... Um, commit these things to song. We've talked about this in Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, one yes. of our other podcasts. So I don't want yeah. to go there too much. Just want to demystify yeah. singing a little bit. Feel free to sing out. I yeah. mean, even though if, you haven't and if you're sung it, even you went to a Coldplay concert, sat through the whole thing, never sang the songs. First you were of all, probably a little weird yeah. doing that. Yeah. But you've been to concerts where you just felt like you wanted to sing and, and add your voice to what was going on. I mean, um, what band was I just listening to? One of their live ones. And like for half the song, they just stopped playing entirely. And, let the crowd and the whole do it. crowd sang yeah. the whole thing. That's what's happening here. That's yeah. the kind of thing that we're trying to get to in some ways. That yeah. we're all worshiping together. We're all saying the same things. And yeah. there will be helps to help yeah. you. And I think everybody, even people who don't necessarily love music, they've all been a part of that moment where where there's been a song that they just they they go with they're at a festival or they're at a concert or they're in a you know 
in a locker room after winning a game, you know? <laughs> yeah. And there's just, there's something about expression and song and joy and song that's universal. That yeah. has nothing, nothing necessarily to do with the church. I believe there is something spiritual about it for sure. But, um, it's just the same kind of thing. And if you're going to a more contemporary church, it's going to be much more familiar to you in terms of con- concert atmosphere. Band's going to be kicking. It's going to be louder. You're going to kind of feel covered up by what's going on. And so you're going to be feeling more uh, free to actually sing and not worry about messing up the parts. And that's one of the things in, in most modern uh, uh, contemporary, and I'll just call it, yeah, I'll just call it modern worship settings. They'll have lyrics up on a screen so that you can actually read along, sing My along. My grandpa with what's calls going that on. singing off the wall. Yeah, yeah, I like that. <laughs> because I like that because in in the transition between hymnals, where they're all in the backs of the pews, you pull out your hymnal, turn to page one sixty three. Yeah, and then you sing the hymn. The transition was an overhead projector. Yeah, and you put this, you yeah. put it up on an overhead projector, and somebody would change the sheets, and then yeah. you'd have a song leader. Oh yeah, and they would sing, and <laughs> that was that was singing off off the wall yes (laughs) oh yeah oh yeah i remember those days yeah um passing the peace how about that one you want to talk about that one ah i'm gonna let you i'm this is okay not this is one of those things that's an interesting tradition because it is it is primarily a catholic tradition okay um that's probably why i'm not familiar with it yeah and and uh, and literally, it's there'll, there'll be a moment in the service where it's where you're you're instructed to what they call pass the peace, and you will turn to people around them, you'll shake their hand, you'll look them in the eye, and say, "Peace be with you." Oh, okay, okay. And uh, I and, do know and, what this and is. so it's 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 a greeting, but it's literally seen as a form of blessing. Like you're yeah. literally turning and blessing those who you're in community with, who you're in relationship with, as you're relating to God, as you're relating to Christ, um, and 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 blessing those people. And and it's also serves as a reminder that we exist now in peace, and not in the pacifistic sense, the but the peace of peace be with peace you, with you, and also, also with you. you. Yeah, yeah. Um, but. Uh, this is also uh, around a lot in a lot of uh, evangelical and Protestant denominations, and that one's typically like, hey, turn around and greet a couple of people around you. That's where that comes from. And so if you're ever in an environment where they just say, hey, greet greet three or four people before you do, that's where that whole thing comes from. It's that idea of community, of, of connecting uh, with the people around you. It's not anything like over the top. You don't have to tell anybody your life story. You don't even no. have to touch them if you don't want to. Just kind of give them the high sign and move on. Um, I remember hearing a particular comedian talking about when you when you were doing the how he hated the past, the peace portion of, of of mass and he said you'd get this one person who you'd know and you'd see the weirdo coming to you that you didn't want to pass and he said you know, you'd just hang on to that person and he's like no 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 don't you let go don't you let go of my hand You're not, I don't want to shake hands with this other person you hang on we're passing no we're good we got the peace right here we're good we're moving on we're passing it back yeah, and we're forth. passing it back and forth we're, we're good right here and, uh, and, and so there is a manner of awkwardness to that and I think it's very interesting in most evangelical churches because they have no idea where that comes from it's just a tradition that we do it's a, it's a thing yeah. but that's where it kind of has its basis in just that idea of, of blessing those around you, of connecting and reminding ourselves, hey, we exist in the peace of Christ now, um, and and that's what that's all about. You can get pretty far in church just wandering around and looking lost. Yeah. I mean, it's it's okay. Just walk in. Yeah. If you look lost, somebody will probably somebody help will, you, or they yeah, should. Point you to I wherever. Mean, Hopefully. If I, they don't, go find another place. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and, and I was always worried, am I, am I taking somebody's seat? Like, if I, if I yeah. just wander up and take an open spot, are people going to yeah. look at me weird or whatever? 
It's okay. If if you're worried about taking somebody's seat, just go ahead and take it because yeah. you're not familiar enough with their church to know, and they'll they'll probably nobody's going to probably bother you. And about that's that. one of the well, that's one of the interesting things is is every every individual church has its weird little idiosyncrasies like that, <laughs> weird little quirks where you've got sister so and so who's been there for ninety five years, yeah, and she sat in the same seat, and it literally has her shape in it, and she'll beat you with a cane if you sit down in it. And then you have others where it's like they they'll they'll sit in a different place every single week. You know, it doesn't matter where they go. Yeah, and uh, and so it's it's just one of those things. And and that's the thing to remember about the church is it's still a gathering of people. It's a community of people. So it's going to have its oddities. It's going to have its oddballs. It's going to have its solid people. It's going to have its you know, as we affectionately refer to as nuts and flakes, you know, yeah. who they mean I, well. I call, but them, I call them odd ducks. Odd ducks. Yeah, yeah. it's just true. There's and, one in every like, crowd. And and each each church is as free as the oddest duck in the room. Yes. And and you can tell the level of freedom that's allowed in that place <laughs> by who, like, what the oddest duck in the room that's is right. doing. And that's, that's, right. that's fine. Sometimes I've been the odd duck. Mm-hmm. Like, I've been in churches where... Like it was odd to raise your hands in worship. Like if you raised your hand, man, the spirit was moving. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> like, that's right. It must really be hitting today. <laughs> we had one guy even raising his hands in the back. You know, yeah. that that was the limit for how far yeah. like anything was going in that place. Yeah. Like so yeah, I've been the odd duck. I'm okay with it. I, I endorse these people because <laughs> it gives a good barometer of where everything is at. Yeah. I'm just like, yeah, this place is about that free. Right. That's and it's good. and it gives permission to those who would be deemed more normal by whoever. Yeah. Whoever the <laughs> standard bearers of those things are, yeah. the standard makers, I should say. Um Raising your hands is an interesting one. Yeah. Um various expressions of worship is just always interesting. Um and and the People whole do it at concerts worldwide. Yeah. All like the time. Any concert anywhere yeah. And if you if you look at it like a dashboard confessional concert, people are crying and weeping and raising yeah. their hands and whatever yeah. else. And it's just Coldplay's a guy a big with one. an acoustic Coldplay's guitar. a big one for that too. You'll if if you if you put a footage from a Coldplay concert and most uh, evangelical charismatic worship services, it's going to look really similar. Yeah. In terms of expression and what you're seeing, because there is there's a natural human propensity to be. Reaching out to whatever it is, you know, whatever it is. Tigers win. Yeah. What were people doing? Absolutely. Absolutely. It was a sea of arms in the air. Right. Um, But again, for this one, it's It's just what what people do when they when they recognize greatness. Yeah. They recognize something great is happening. And and if nothing else, it is biblically, you know, a a biblical, a biblically backed method of worship. You know, we're instructed to to lift up our hands in praise, to lift up our hands in prayer, to lift our voices, to lift our, you know, there's there's expressions of kneeling, dancing, like there's all kinds of things scripturally uh, that could be pointed to as not mandates, but instructive uh, postures of worship. And it's about as diverse as you could possibly think, uh, from being very still and contemplative to being, you know, twirling like a top, dancing, I mean, and everything in between. So, so again, it's, it's not that there's anything magical or mystical about anything that any one person is doing. It's just, that's just an expression of the moment, an expression of what's going on uh, in the heart coming out in a physical manner. And again, we see this all the time in, in, in other things in other ways. Uh, but we, we do, we think there's something we're missing or missing out on and in the church by, by seeing it happen and, and not participating. I think some people might be weirded out. Like I want to try and choose the right church. I don't want to, I want to go with people that are like me. I yeah. I've been like a, among the only white people in an all-black church 
It was a great experience. <laughs> like, it was a great experience. Don't be weirded out if you're just the one person that's that's different than everybody else there. It's okay. And I imagine it's the same for the, the one or two black people that have come into churches where I'm looking around. I'm like, yeah, this is a really white gathering. I, yeah. I feel like this, you know, I, I, I want to make sure this is a good experience for this person because yeah. I've been on the other side of it and been like, this is a great experience. They made me feel welcome. Yeah. Everybody was awesome. And I'm like... I so love I so love this service. I love everything about it. I feel like I would come every week. Yeah. You know? So so don't don't be weirded out if people are of a different culture. If all of a sudden you walk in and everybody's dressed up, like and you feel underdressed, it's okay. Yeah. Like it's yeah. okay. That's how they that's how their culture, their their yeah. understanding of what's going on, and it's gonna be all right. Yeah. You know? And and if you <laughs> you decide to make that church your home, you might start dressing different. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. You know? But that's, Me personally, that's why I wear a t-shirt and jeans to church a lot. Yeah, because I'm like, I don't want anyone to ever feel like right. they're uh, uh, underdressed coming right. into our church. Like, right, I'm gonna be in exactly what I'd be in Walmart in. Yeah, but <laughs> yeah, that's one of my. You mentioned specifically going to a, a predominantly uh, black church, and it reminds me of one of my favorite favorite quotes I've ever heard about about different churches and different worship styles. And and I apologize because this quote will have a mild swear in it, but I'm just going to do it because that's part of the joke of, of what it was. But uh, in the the show in the heat of the night in the heat of the night, uh, there's uh, is it Gillespie? I think is the is the the chief. Chief Gillespie, and uh, they're having a debate because there's there's a black couple who started going to a white like Presbyterian church because they want to like intermingle because as you've just mentioned there's there's some odd separation still in the South that's just mutually agreed upon. I don't know if between, I said that on yeah, the podcast. I, yeah, that's right. You didn't. You didn't. Yeah, that you noticed. It, just just one thing that I noticed. I did a recent trip down south, and it was just it was just odd sometimes. Like here in in the North, a lot of times we interact in racially integrated yeah with people of races i don't even think about it like it's not there's no walls no barriers that i can see culturally now i understand yeah from from, and we'll maybe have this conversation later yeah but um i understand there's all kinds of layers to this yeah lots of but down south it was it was one of those things that i was like huh there's some understood things here that people are just gathering in groups racially and not trying to break down the wall. Yeah. Like they're not interacting in a way that I'm like, Man. and it's odd because it, it translates to the locals, but not to the tourists. Yeah. So like you'll see very integrated tourist spots, both in, in terms of like living arrangements or, or but going this out was to eat or just whatever. a group of guys hanging out and they just kind of segregated themselves yeah. racially because they were more comfortable with people of their own race. And I'm like, yeah, this is a weird gathering and I'm uncomfortable. Yeah. Like yeah. everybody else seemed pretty comfortable and I'm like, I'm uncomfortable yeah. with this. Like yeah. I, I want to just mix this up here and just like, <laughs> you know, do what we can. But but that that being said, you know, this is a deep south, place in the deep south. And and uh and one of the the the, the ladies who uh her and her husband are going to this predominantly white church, she challenges Gillespie and says, Well, why don't you go why don't you go to church? And he had some, you know, of a stereotypical reason why he didn't go to church and him and the Lord are okay anyway. He said, and I'll tell you what, though. He's like, if I did go to one of the churches, I would go to one of these black churches because those people have a, have a hell of a time praising the Lord. And I just always loved that because I just thought it was so funny, like that that contrast. But it's, it's true. Like I have I have been to some predominantly black churches, and there isn't, especially in the men, that's one of the things I really appreciate is there is just a no-holds-barred 
attitude towards worship. Like men, men, they will dance, they will, they'll sing out. There's no, there's no shame. And I feel like in, in a lot of, for whatever reason, a lot of, a lot of white churches, there's this sense of like, well, the man's just going to stand there while the women are don't more show expressive. Any emotion, yeah. don't, and and you know, man, and man, that's one of the things don't that break I, character, you know, that's one of the things that I so appreciate uh, about what I've seen from from the church uh, in terms of the African American community of the churches, there's just no, there's not, there's more of an expectation on men to uh, express and to emote in worship than there than there is in in predominantly white churches, which is an interesting thing. It's all good, yeah. you know, and and a lot of a lot of churches that you may choose are gonna on Sunday are gonna have a lot of different things going on. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah, like it's okay. Yeah, and and. And if you don't like it, you don't have to go back. That's right. You can choose a different one next time you go. It's okay. Yeah. Like you don't don't feel an an obligation of like I have to go here because this is the one time I walked in there and and I don't know what they'll think if right. I, if they see me going somewhere else or whatever. That's the other thing that people don't realize. And I was going to talk about that with church membership a little bit. Church membership to different churches means different different things. things. But yeah. Really, I've never I've never seen it. Locked down, like I'm a member of this church, so I never go anywhere else. Right, you're still free to go to pretty much any church you right. want. Right, the only thing with church membership is like, hey, if their pastor were to leave, I would like to vote on who we get next. Yeah, or you know, if we're gonna build a building, I wanna I wanna be able to vote on that. And it's not like they're just gonna pass out ballots to everyone to right. say. Hey, what does the entire what does city everyone think, of this? think yeah. about whether or not we should have this pastor? We should call this pastor. Or we should build this building. Like somewhere between the entire city being asked and just the the people of that church. What is the dividing line? Right. And the dividing line, generally for most churches, is members Membership. get to vote. Yeah. And and I had somebody ask me, well. Do I have to like sign off on all the tenants of the Nazarene Church in order to become a member and that kind of thing? No, not really. Like you don't have to know everything in the manual. Right. You didn't even have to read it. Like right. you just have to understand. Like right. this is my church. I, I've been going here. I, I, I love it. I yeah. want to be a part. I want to see where where this all goes. And and I'm I'm along for this. This is my community. You know, become a church member. There yeah. may be a little class you go through, and they'll try and explain. Yeah, you know what membership means to them, but don't don't get weirded out. Right. Like you can't it, go anywhere and, else right. ever. And there again. and there was a time where it was a very different culture. You know, back in the fifties, sixties. You know, probably up until the eighties, even. Like if you went to a Nazarene church in one community and you moved to another community, you would find a Nazarene church. Yeah, like there was there was a sense of universality to it. Like I am a Nazarene. There used to be a book or something <clears throat> called Mennonite Your Way, where you could. You could literally travel the whole way across the country. Ask Kayla about this. I think this is, a, I'm pretty sure this is a real thing. And you could Mennonite your way all the way across the country, staying in different people's houses because hospitality was a, is, yeah. a, is a very real thing in the yeah. Mennonite church. And you could travel across the U.S. and just staying at a, in a different Mennonite community yeah. all the way across. Oh, that's crazy. <laughs> That's crazy. I like that though. That's fun. But yeah, it's 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 not it's, it's not any, and it's, it's also weird. Yeah, it's fun. but it's but it is. It, it you know membership is more mystical to some some denominations than others. It's more vital to some denominations than others. Um, you know, and some people closely tie like Catholicism closely ties uh, salvation and membership in the church. So like yeah. when you go through confirmation classes and and become a I don't even know they call it 
becoming a member. Like you're just acknowledging that you're a Catholic, you're you're a Christian, you're a Catholic. That is that is then you know you have your first communion. They have all kinds of things that go on with that, and so it's it directly tied to salvation. Like you cannot have one without the other. Um, whereas you know a, a lot of people in Protestant churches, particularly evangelical churches, can can meet Jesus, they can get saved, and they can never become a member of that church. They just are there for the rest of their lives or the rest of their you know spiritual journey, or they move on to someplace else when they when they move. It's 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 very different denomination to denomination. Yeah. But overall, it's a very unmystical uh, aspect of of the church of church life. So there you go. Yeah. We're weird. We're not all that weird. We're not all that weird. <laughs> we're not all that weird. Yeah. But uh, anyway, um, I guess we need to kind of wrap here. We're getting towards that time. Yep. But uh, either way, what I would recommend to you, and I don't know if this is an action step, if I'm yeah, make overstepping my step. down. But, Let's but go. I would, I would challenge you guys, you know, this, this Easter weekend, find a, find a church uh, to be a part of, uh, celebrate the resurrection. Um, if nothing else, just go check out what's going on. And and if you've if you have never darkened the door of a church, go find one. Kind of have an experience with it and see what you think. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, they and they'd be thrilled to have you, I'm sure. And and if it's your first time in a church, let us know what you thought. Yeah. If we're the ones that gave you the little push over the yep. edge to go, let us know what you thought. Because yeah. we would enjoy hearing. Your we story. would very much enjoy yeah. hearing that. Yeah. Uh, we'd have to do an awkward church stories podcast sometime. Just straight up, like, awkward experiences we've had in the church. Yeah. We'd That'd be, be telling tales just a little bit, but yeah. it would be fun. It would be fun. No no names. No, <laughs> no names, names to protect the guilty. <laughs> Not to protect the innocent, to protect the guilty. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, thanks so much for listening, in, and uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks for joining the conversation today. The Things We Say is produced by Nate Ward. Technical direction is provided by Sheldon Stauffer. You can subscribe to The Things We Say on SoundCloud and iTunes. Don't forget to like us on Facebook at The Things We Say Podcast to keep the conversation going. This has been The Things We Say. See you next time.